Let's pray. I want to open up this morning with an old Anglican prayer. Let's pray. Father, teach us what we know not. Make us what we are not. And give us what we have not. In the name and service and for the glory of Christ our Savior. Amen. So we're old enough, all of us, to know that life is full of ups and downs and starts and stops and peaks and valleys, right? Everybody agree? Oftentimes when life happens, we're so consumed with the immediate circumstance. And there's two things. We either fail to see God at work in the situation or we fail to trust God that he is at work. Oftentimes, perceived reality is the exact opposite of true reality. In fact, Scripture and the Christian walk, the Christian journey, uh, provides several examples of this divine irony. And we could even say that God deals with us, that, that God is a God of irony, right? In Luke's narration of the rejection of Christ, uh, he mirrors that in Acts as well. So we find out in reading Luke that uh, the rejection of Jesus was the catalyst for his redeeming death. And in Acts, we find out that the persecution of the church was the catalyst for saving evangelism. And God's always at work. You might recall from last week as... Um, Ronnie spoke to us about Joseph and how uh, Joseph said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph had every reason to deconstruct. He had every reason to look at his faith and doubt that God was at work in his life, as Ronnie pointed out to us, but he remained faithful. And I've been reading a book by Greg Beal. It's got a long title. Don't let that scare you. But it's called Redemptive Reversals and the Ironic Overturning of Human Wisdom. And it's about the ironic way that God works in our lives and, he, and the way that he works in the world um, to bring his plan of redemption to fulfillment. And so this morning, I want to share a story about uh, one of his students that he asked to contribute to this book. And I was so moved by this story that I actually, <laughs> actually moved me to tears reading this story. And I wanted to share it with you guys to, to just put this, this walk in perspective. The man's name is Andrew White. And in 1979, he was married. He had a six-month-old son. And he was, a, um, he was in his second year as a resident family physician in Charleston, South Carolina. In the winter of that year, he and his wife went to a church service on missions. And that service changed his life forever. The topic was about something that was happening on the other side of the globe in a refugee camp on the Thailand-Cambodian border. And so this is Andrew White's story. And a little bit of the back, the back story to it. In 1975, you guys, uh, some of you guys may remember, in 1975, a civil war in Cambodia resulted in the rise to power 
of one of the most brutal and evil regimes in the history of the world. People were not allowed, and this regime was called the Khmer Rouge. You guys remember that? People were not allowed to leave their rural cooperatives. Three or more people could not gather for conversation without the risk of being accused of conspiracy and, and being executed. Um, they were forced to work 14-hour days without adequate food, without adequate rest, and without adequate medical services. Anyone that was involved in government or civil service, uh, anyone who was an educator, anyone who was involved in religion, uh, they were detained, uh, interrogated, tortured, and executed. The Khmer Rouge under Pol Pot were vicious murderers. The Cambodian genocide during his regime took the lives of nearly two million people, and by percentage, that is the worst genocide in the history of the world because Cambodia was a small country. There was a resistance group called the Khmer Free, and they fought against the regime, but they were largely overpowered very quickly. So Khmer Free refugees fled to bordering Thailand, and they established large refugee camps for these people. The, 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 the regime, and so just to tell you guys, the internet's down. So this, uh, I've got a few notes that are here, but this part of this might be extemporaneous. So bear with me. Um, the, yeah, you guys don't know what I was going to say anyway, so it'll be all right. Uh, I'll just make it up. Uh, the, the Khmer Rouge, they were in power for four years. All right, four years. Thankfully, it was not longer. Uh, but what happened was um, the, the Vietnamese uh, offensive in 1979 forced them. They, they now were in the role of the refugee. So they fled to Thailand, too. So that's what's going on in 1979. You've got two big groups of refugee camps. One of them is the Khmer Free, the good guys, as we would say. And the other camp is the Khmer Rouge, the bad guys, the murderers, the evil, the evil folk. And the evening that Andrew White and his wife attended this, uh, this church service, it was focused on the plight of these Khmer free refugees. They were, had a great need for doctors. There were people dying every day from malaria, pneumonia, from malnutrition. And during that service and during that prayer, Andrew White felt God's call. And he knew beyond a, uh, with no doubt at all that God was calling him to go to minister, to serve, and to treat these people uh, in these camps. So on their drive home, he talked to his wife about it, and she agreed, even though they had a six-month-old son. And this was, not a, uh, this was a dangerous assignment. Uh, she agreed, yes, that's, that's, the, that's the best thing we can do. But there was a problem. Uh, he was engaged in this residency program, which he couldn't be released from. It was part of him gaining his credentials to practice medicine. 
And uh, so they talked about it on the way home, and they decided that since he could not leave, that they would just pray for the refugees and they would support them financially. So the next day, very next day, he goes into the residency center and he has a memo in his inbox. And the memo is from the dean of students at the medical, uh, uh, pro, from the medical program. And this memo said, in response to the refugee crisis in Cambodia, resident physicians can be released from their duties to serve in the camps. Yeah, with two additional uh, qualifiers. That service would be credited toward their diplomas. In addition, expenses would be covered by the church. So what did Andrew White do? He went to the phone and he called his wife. There's no texting and no email back then, right? He goes to the phone and he calls her and he says, I have received a handwritten message from God. Yeah, amen. So he went to Cambodia with expectation and excitement. He cannot wait to get there. And they formed a group before they left and met together so they could uh, form cohesion in, in that. And he went to Cambodia. He was absolutely sure of God's call. It had been confirmed in, in many different ways. And what he revealed in his story was that he had been battling depression from the age of 10. And these bouts of depression, the first episode that he had was at 10. And he says in the book, the book was written in 2019, that throughout his life, he had suffered from seven extreme bouts of depression. And one of them lasted for 13 years. The episodes were characterized by severe terror, mental pain, anxiety, and even thoughts of suicide. And you imagine this man whose heart was to serve Christ and to serve these people, and he's battling this, you know. And he said that when he arrived in country to begin his six-week tour, as soon as his feet hit the tarmac, he had a, a, a panic attack. He suffered a severe attack, and it was threatening his ability to do anything. And he asked God, why? Why? Why have you allowed this to happen? How many times do we say that? Why have you, God, allowed this to happen? This is the worst possible time. How many times do we ever say that to God? This is the worst possible time. You called me and you sent me to the other side of the world for this. There was anti-depression medication available, but what he said was that it would take several weeks for it to begin to even help him. So battling through his depression, he was assigned to a Khmer free camp and he got there and there were so many doctors that he didn't have anything to do. He's sitting around. He's got nothing to do because there's doctors running all over. Everybody wants to treat the Khmer free folk, the good guys. Nobody wants to go to the other camp, right? 
And he remained there for two weeks, and he's still wondering why God had sent him to Thailand to sit around. And that increased his stress and his depression. And, and then, after two weeks, they received a plea from a Khmer Rouge camp for a doctor. They had patients near death. They had malnutrition and pneumonia and malaria. And these were the Khmer Rouge, the murderous, evil people. No one wanted to take this assignment. No one. Nobody raised their hand. Hey, send me. I'll go. Trusting God, White said that he had a clear sense from God to go. This is why you're here. You go. So he went. And he arrives in this camp. He's trusting God to see him through his mental state, his depression, his anxiety, his, his, his pain. He's trusting God to deal with his prejudice against these people who are the most hardened sinners you would ever meet. And he arrived in camp with the idea that I'm going to do what I can do for these people who are suffering, who have no hope who have no hope. There's no discussion about where their eternal state is going to be, right? So he was assigned to the malaria ward where most of the patients were gravely ill. And the first day that he was there, he met a retired Cambodian Methodist missionary who was also there because he was a refugee. He had been in Cambodia working for years and found himself in this refugee camp with all of the Khmer Rouge. He had had very little fruit in his ministry. He had a very small group of uh, a harvest of believers, very small. He'd been laboring for years. And how many times we think about that, you know, God's at work, y'all, and our work is not in vain. Paul says to keep, keep doing good. Our work is not in vain. One thing that he had done, he had translated the Gospel of John into the Cambodian language. Okay? And White knew that he was not only there to minister to physical needs, he was called to share the Gospel of Christ, even while battling his depression. He said all he could do when he went into the ward on the first day, all he could do in his state, he went to every bed and he asked to a man, do you have sin in your life? That's all he could do. And of course, all of these patients were participants in the atrocities of this regime, killing and raping and stealing and destroying and he said, I was so surprised by their honesty. <laughs> they all said, sure, <laughs> yeah, I've got plenty of sin in my life. And he said, what I told him was, tomorrow when I come back, I'm going to bring you great news. I'm going to bring you tremendously good news. Well, they were so anxious to hear this good news that they, you know, in the meantime, they sought out the chaplain because they wanted to get an advance notice on what he was going to tell them. Okay? So he returned the next day and he found out that 
they were so eager to hear the news. And one of these patients, he was like the most evil man in the place. He was known for utter evil and the things that he had done under this regime. But he was the only man who could read. He was the only man who could read. Nobody else could read. And God saved him. Jesus saved him that very day. That very day, the man was redeemed. And since he was the only man who could read, White said he, he would stand on his cot. Now, this man was near death. He had pneumonia and malaria. And he said, I was amazed at this man's strength and ability because he would stand on his cot every day and read the gospel of John that the chaplain, the missionary, had translated all day at the top of his lungs. So the whole ward is hearing the gospel of John all day. And why said, I couldn't ima imagine how this man was doing this. And one of the other things he would do is he would point to the x-ray that was hanging over his bed and he would proclaim to them, God is healing me from this. God is healing me. God has saved me and he's healing me and he's reading the gospel of John. Well, at the same time, God raised up an evangelist. This was a Khmer Rouge. He had been saved for three weeks. Three weeks. God called him to go tent to tent outside of the hospital ward. He's going tent to tent in the camp, and he's preaching and teaching to people in their tents. If the Khmer Rouge had known that he was doing this, uh, he would have suffered death. They told the people that if they converted to Christianity, they would have to lay on the ground, and, and that's a euphemism for dig your own grave. So he's doing this at, at his own uh, peril to his own life. God had raised up a man in the hospital tent. God had raised up a man outside of the hospital ward. So White and the chaplain went from bed to bed, and they explained that Christ had died for their sins. If they trusted him, they would find complete forgiveness. So when we think about what happened, such an unlikely revival as the Holy Spirit fell on this camp, literally fell on this camp. A severely depressed doctor who was wondering why in the world he was even there. In his prayers, he had said, God, I'm just sitting here doing nothing, and besides, I'm pretty depressed about it. A tired missionary that was serving as a chaplain just because he happened to be there. An exhausted, anxious, anxious uh, brand-new Khmer Rouge evangelist, which would, uh, he would go and, and teach. And finally, a redeemed, brutal murderer who was near death but was the only person who could read. The revival that started in that camp resulted in 3,000 souls being saved. Mm. After Andrew White came home later, he learned that the new Christian community had gone to the Thailand government and asked them if they could build a church. 
a Christian church. And the government came back and said, no, you can't build a Christian church because we don't have a Buddhist temple. So what do you think they did? They built a Buddhist temple. And after that, they built a great big Christian church. And White said the Buddhist temple was empty and the Christian church was full. Yeah, praise God. At several points along the way, Andrew White questioned God's call. He questioned his direction. He questioned his timing. Why God, right? How many times have we wondered, what are you up to, God? How many times have we questioned God's wisdom? How many times have we said, Lord, this is the worst possible time? We doubt that God's at work. And we don't trust him that he is at work. So we profess his power. We profess his provision. We profess his providence. But yet, boots on the ground, we doubt. and We don't trust. So we reflect on Holy Week and the suffering that our Lord endured and the sacrifice of himself so that we could have life. Consider the irony, the ironic account of the Roman soldiers who mocked Jesus as he bled. Hail to the king, they said, and their sarcasm and their derision was plain. They did not believe that Jesus was any kind of king. And the irony is that these soldiers are the real victims of their own mocking. They crucified the very one who is the king of the universe. So God is always at work, and may we trust him in every season of life. We pray, Holy Spirit, fall on us. Teach us. Make us. Use us. Amen. Right? Thank you, guys. Thanks.